Podsters is a digital content creation venture with an award-winning team of audio branding and marketing experts. We help you reach your audience via the most accessible medium today, podcasts. We strategize, produce, develop and deliver podcasts to your target segment in India or across the globe. Hi guys, I'm Anmol Gupta and you're listening to The Dream Hustlers. a show about founders and entrepreneurs who've created their own brands and catapulted them in this show we speak to amannath the co-founder of neemrana group of hotels passionate about history and preservation of heritage arts and culture amannath is also one of the youngest founding members of intact he has authored a lot of books was the arts editor of india today before he ventured into founding his own brand passionate about heritage conservation aman has co-founded the neemrana group of hotels and has restored more than 30 heritage structures welcome to the show aman it is a great honor and pleasure to have you with us great to be here so aman i'll start with your childhood uh, and i think you were just talking about your childhood a little bit before you came how did your childhood sort of influence your love for heritage did you want to take some entrepreneurial initiatives whilst young like people say that i'd had have that perennial lemonade stand that a lot of founders often talk about um i was born to refugee parents who came from lahore in 1947 so my earliest memory is of uh, pusa road where they had built a colony for refugees i think it was uh, you know single storied houses identical and um without any trees at that point so my first memories from the age of 4 or whatever are of you know of only that house because uh, that's what we knew because we didn't know much else but because you know my father came from uh, he was well born from a family which had uh, a grand house and they had you know cars horses whatever they they you know used to be the appendages of uh, good families um so for, they actually began from zero or as he would say from minus because you know they had debts to other people which they decided to honor because it was very convenient to say we've had the partition so if i borrowed this from you or if i did that from you i wouldn't pay it but that that was a kind of honorable punjabi i think that the whole lot of people who came there well what that sort so i think enterprise is something that becomes part of your uh, growth process it is the opposite of decadence so if i might say or is it will sound i think the best thing that happened to to me or my family was the partition you know and if you get a kick in the pants um you have to learn to dress up again to stand up again um let's say all the jews who went from europe to america they had the same experience because they valued the smallest thing and the value for that as opposed to uh, a silver spoon in the mouth we are kicking nannies and servants and saying i won't eat this and i won't eat that i mean i would any day choose the same childhood again so the value for everything and i think the absence of a past because if you don't have an ancestral home you don't have a village you know what is the picture you make of yourself it's nothing you know you can't say you know that um, the red fort or you know elora is my past you have no past so you start on a blank 
page and your parents start writing it and then you write on it, you embellish it and it's a great process because not everybody gets a chance to start from zero. It's like a painter, if I was to say, yes, if I had this thought. If you give a painter a painting which is already painted and say paint on top of it. I didn't have to do that. I got a blank canvas and a great education, which was uh, difficult in those days. You know, I was sent to modern school and there was some opposition, I believe, to the idea because it was an expensive school. So when you don't have enough to eat and you're paying for education, that's a good choice made. Right. You talk a lot about your past and a blank slate, but you're dealing in the past in some sense today. Did your past actually affect you in creating what you have created now? Subconsciously, that's what I was saying. That Subconsciously, perhaps, you know, you yearn for that which you don't have. So if there are people, you know, who's, who's from royal families, you know, sitting and counting, you know, I am the 300th generation, I'm the 50th generation. It's of no interest to me. Genetics is something else, you know. And if you take, let's say, one royal house, which says that, you know, that they're born from uh, Lord Rama, all right, or, or even better, they say they're born from the sun. Now... I feel unhappy, I mean, not unhappy, I feel sad that people would want to to imagine these kind of things, you know. Who do you think went up to the sun to make love to the sun and to produce a child? You know, it's it, it's it's humbug at its best. So, or the, or Chandravanshi, you know, these are planets, you know, so you, you know, you can, you can, claim i think it's so much better to to say my father was a nobody and i made something of myself that's interesting but did you ever kind of have some of these entrepreneurial sort of thoughts that i want to create my own thing when you were young no that's all i saw i saw my you know because my, my you know my family had a factory in lahore my grandfather was a lawyer my great grandfather was a first session judge of the punjab so Everybody was doing, they were professionals, there was uh, industry, and uh, my father began to set up industry. He was the eldest of his eight um, brothers and sisters. So I just saw enterprise. I saw them turning, you know, nothing into something. And when, when, when Nimrana happened much later, it was actually turning waste into assets, you know. I mean, you know, there are ruins everywhere. You drive on the on in India, you see a ruin here, you see a ruin there, you see picturesque ruins, you see tragic ruins. But um, as a child, we went. My father worked very hard, and my mother would try and make him stop working and force him for a holiday. When so we would all go out into the mountains with very little to spend. So they thought of the most inventive ways. We went to godforsaken places to forest duck bungalows, to um, canal rest houses. And you had to pay one rupee for a night, which must have been one rupee, you know. I mean, even if you take it hundred times or a thousand times, it was not uh, a tragic figure that made a hole in your pocket. So we learned to wake up in the most extraordinary places and to create breakfast and to, to hunt for a, a meal. I remember, you know, once we were sent out with... Um, man in a place called Sanasar, which is on the way to um, Srinagar. 
and now they have a ropeway in Patni top or somewhere. But it was the greatest wilderness, you know, in, in a forest like you can't imagine. And the job was to go and find a chicken uh, from somewhere so that we could have a chicken. So after one week, you know, we got one chicken, we valued it. But the joke was that the man who brought it, who, who walked with us, he actually hacked the chicken in front of us. And then we didn't want to eat it, you know, because we had been so shaken by the sight of the way it happened. But I'm just talking about the value of one chicken. Mm. And think of a badly brought up child in a rich home. What is a chicken for that child? Nothing. You know, you can leave it on the plate. Um, so you ascribe this entrepreneurial sort of thinking to your family a lot. To, you think to that less, you, yeah. to less, to less, to you know, to 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 when you have less, you value everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm saying, uh, I'm I'm pitching enterprise against decadence. Decadence is just sitting around doing nothing, you know, talking about your past, you know, saying, you know, I have a credit card, let me go to a mall, let me buy something, and you realize, in the urban circuit of today, you know, with coronavirus, nobody's shopping. Mm. So why were they shopping every day? Did they need a shirt, a shoe, a yet another shoe, yet another shirt? Did they need to go out and eat and entertain? So we 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 become so terribly consumptive that now all the forwards and you know we are getting from people are about remorse and repentance about overconsumption. Mm. They say perhaps the planet is angry. You know there was one saying that uh, every time the planet is angry with something it gets rid of gets rid of those species mm. so the dinosaurs went and you know the, the large apes went so maybe it's time for the humans to go because you know they are they're actually making a new system of them the corona virus yes, coronavirus. Situation right yes, now. yes so i mean you know a virus that you know jumps across animals gets into humans and first attacks the elderly then it's going to attack the younger ones because it, it becomes bolder and more and They'll build some vaccines on it. But that's the kind of inner voice people don't listen to. So I think as a child growing up, um, we had a very good childhood. We had good holidays. Uh, we never had excess. We never wasted. We knew how to make a lot out of nothing. And um, I was good at my studies. I, you know, if you think of, um, I mean, I, and I was very modest, you know. I, I stood, I went for a trek after school. And I went to the, Pasloi Pass, which when you walk from uh, Buntar to where the chief minister of uh, Himachal Pradesh is from Sarahan and so on, uh, I walked, 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 went up to 12,000 feet, which is not very high. And when I arrived back in Simla, one girl from my class just ran up to me on the mall and hugged me and gave me a kiss. A kiss was a big thing those days because now we kiss, you know, almost the first time we meet anybody. Um, we'll stop doing it now with this virus, I suppose. <laughs> and and I said, and I was quite taken aback. You know, she said, you know, you've come second in India, so I was very surprised. And my reaction was, I can't believe that the whole of India is that dumb. <laughs> you know, because it could have been exactly the opposite. I'm, I mean, since you're asking me about myself, I'm telling you that one's own opinion of oneself was not about being somebody and something you know so we went to modern school where a lot of rich people came there were even a few people with imported cars when it used to cost 300 percent duty to import a car so why were they doing it because they were also refugees from you know pakistan they had done well or they had made money faster and they needed 
like nouveau riche people to demonstrate that they had made it so uh, an impala would stand outside the school and the child who got into it was looking at all of us to see if we had noticed if he was getting into the car hmm. that's the worst upbringing you could give a child and in our case um my father had a car which he used to take to the factory which he was setting up and so on so we didn't have a second car and they'd set up a deal with the tonga horse tonga to pick us and drop us because you know modern school is on barakhamba road next to karnat place so he would drop us do his work pick us and drop us and it used to cost 25 paisa which is a quarter of a rupee to drop us and a quarter of a rupee to take us home so when tonga was waiting i remember i have this image of of childhood that i come out of the school there's one light blue impala standing on the left and there's a tonga standing on the right and we would jump into the tonga we were not poor children jumping into tonga we were just different and some people actually thought we were princes because why should anybody you know come to a public school in a tonga it was my parents idea just out of convenience it was not to show up because i don't think there were three wheelers and they i don't know what there must have been taxis or something i don't remember at all but that was unaffordable so we always made more out of less and uh, didn't care what the world was saying just and I, i that's what i've done you know i just do what i think is right do you think this uh, spirit of i have to make it comes from a partition background no i don't have that spirit i have to make it no i don't i just do my thing i do it well if it's part of the making it it's it's there you know i never said i am going to so I, i'll tell you a reverse story when nimrana got ready and the whole world talked about it because it was you know long ago it was 91 and you know we called 100 people for the opening each of the 100 went back and told 10 each so you know by geometrical progression and one day a few years later arrived um marwari gentleman infinitely, infinitely richer than me that was also the time when people were making farmhouses but they called farmhouses they didn't grow wheat and um, radish there they just had beer parties and showed off their barbecues you know so this man said to me you know now i'll have to buy a fort or something and restore it restore it because when i call people to my farm nobody comes <laughs> I felt sad for that man. I said he was doing it for all the wrong reasons, you know. Right. And I was actually just doing it because it needed to be done. If you're poor, you'll buy a ruin. You can't buy Trump Tower, you know. <laughs> so if you if you'll buy a ruin and work very hard upon it, now I've been working for 36 years. It's a long time, you know. So if if in 36 years 30 buildings got restored, it's a lot of hard work. And right. yeah. Yeah so I, you know that brings me to my next question uh you were one of the founding members of Intac yes. like what was the idea behind uh, creating something like Intac and has it sort of uh, helped you in some sense after it was created and you think the institution still serves its purpose um they my personal history and contact with Intac I think there's a right time for something to happen um I had gone to Jaipur to stay with a jeweler friend. Over there arrived uh, somebody, um, you know, and we we were dancing in this uh, heat in a garage, and he said that he had three swimming pools in the desert. 
That's the three swimming pools. And what are we doing here? You know, sweating it out in Jaipur. Let's go there. And it's a long story. But then one arrived there by whichever way. And he then went to sleep because it was rather warm. He took a siesta because he drank a beer. And I don't drink beer. So I walked out with an umbrella. It was exceedingly hot. This was in a place called, a town called Navalgar, from which the Podars come. And many people come from there, the Marwaris. And I was absolutely amazed to see Havelis with, with paintings and, you know, and so on. And I came back and I told a friend, a new friend I'd made called Francis. Um, and he was very keen to make a film. He said, let's make a film on the old waterways of Rajasthan because the Persian wheel and all that will, will go, you know, because we had these oxen and camels tur uh, turning, um, you know, um, Around a, around a well and the water would come out so we actually set out he wanted to do that but when I said to him you know you have to come and see Navalgar so I brought him here and as we drove to from Delhi to Navalgar we passed you know lots of other towns you know Chirava, Pilani, um, Bagar and there were Haveli after Haveli after Haveli there a few thousand Havelis in Chekhavati all painted with frescoes so it then became something else it just became a book on the Havelis. And we went together to England to publish this. Um, Fidon Press was very interested, which was a great publisher then and even now. But as it happened, there was a crisis because publishing keeps having these crises. You know, you need a lot of funding and people don't buy those kind of books. So they passed it on to somebody else, um, somebody called Elwin Blacker, who had served in India in the Royal Air Force or something. So he had an Indian connection. And we stayed in a place called East Grinstead and when we finished the book and, and designed the pages and wrote it and edited it and so on. And now this Elvin Blacker, it's, it's a interesting story, used to publish all the publications, papers, uh, pamphlets of the National Trust, which is like the role model for Intac. So we brought all these and we said, why doesn't India have this, you know? So we brought it and showed it to Pupul Jaikar, who was then very important because Indira Gandhi was her best friend and she was Minister of Culture without being called Minister. She had, you know, the status of that. Then Indira Gandhi was assassinated and um, Rajiv Gandhi became Prime Minister. She was still very important. And Martan Singh, who was this wonderful man, was interested in textiles and culture you know we shared these papers with them and um, they with the then Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi and they, they thought they'd start something it was called intact actually first I-N-T-A-C-T oh, it was called Indian National Trust for Cultural Treasures mm -hmm. culture and treasures or something mm -hmm. but then they made it intact because uh, I think the non uh, intangible heritage also had to be and I was um, I don't know how old would I have been, 27 or 20, something like that. Uh, but I realized that they would, they would meet and talk and meet and talk. And I'm somebody who's impatient about acting. Mm. And, you know, then, and I studied history. So I don't know what I learned in history, but one lesson that I did learn was that the only asset, that, you know, that we have is time because we 
act our whole life in that time frame, you know. So if you and I are making a great plan to say that we're going to actually buy the Taj Mahal because we found a way to buy it and we are dead in, in the next minute in an earthquake, that's the end of everything because that asset, that time which we have is lost to us, you know. So it was, I think, a big lesson to learn. I find people waste so much time and they talk about things, you know, we shall make money, they talk of plans, but they don't act. So if you don't act in the present, then you've not acted in, in the past, then, then you will not act in the future. So you get into a, a cycle of inertia. And I have never been in a cycle of inertia because we were brought up like that. You know, even on holidays, what's your program? We would write down, it would, I'll do this, I'll cycle now, I'll go and um, you know, play golf, then I will study for four hours, then I'll do this, whatever. You know, if a music teacher came, we had one hour of music and two hours of cricket. So we, we were got almost regimented like an English public school, even at home, because our parents didn't see us wasting time and they were not wasting any time either. So uh, my role model was our family, you know, my mm -hmm. father, who just worked, worked and worked. Mm -hmm. So today I work 20 hours a day and people say to me, but aren't you bored? But it's so fascinating to work. Right. Yeah. And after intact, you wrote some books. You were also writing some books during that time. Yes. Uh, so Francis and I wrote that book on the Havelis yeah. that came out in 82 and then started a whole movement. You know, people started going there and there were so many broken Havelis there. Mm -hmm. And in the course of writing the book, uh, you know, come across the ruin of Nimrana. But mm -hmm. Francis was a French citizen at that point. And uh, he, I, I don't know if he knew what his future was going to be, you know, he, but I knew what my future was going to be. I was born in India and I was interested in, in history because I'd done my master's in history. I was hugely interested in design, in painting, in, in, in all the things that relate to it. I did not study architecture, perhaps I should have. Mm -hmm. But um, when Nimrana happened, um, which happened with two Indian friends, Lekha Podar and O.P. Jain, you know, three of us bought it together. And when we opened... Uh, Three architects came, Ram Sharma, Raj Reval, who's the third? You know, they were one of their friends, and they they were quite amazed by what they saw, and they, they said to me, one of them said to me, you know, you've done this because you didn't study architecture. It's mm -hmm. too much of a folly to attempt. Sometimes to know too much is is to is to not know it right. You know, then mm -hmm. you know that. So if you are um, I would use the word foolish, but I would say you can be foolhardy when you're ignorant, you know. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't know, you know, that I mean that something is dangerous, you, you probably jump from the Niagara Falls because if you know how to swim, you know, it's mm -hmm. just the joy of doing it. So in, in that way, when I saw Nimrana, fell in love with it, and I told, you know, many friends, my wealthy friends of the moment, um, you know, to invest in it, they all said, are you crazy, are you crazy, are you crazy, you know. And even OP and Lekha who got into it, you know, we bought it together. And I thought how nice to have friends richer than me. Because, you know, we, we, when you had to invest one lakh rupees, you only had to put 33,000. It made a huge difference, you know, because you can have one third of a sum, but never have the whole sum. But I realized that they were less passionate about it. Because, you know, it, 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 there has to be a driving force. 
Opie was wonderful. Lekha was, you know, was a wife. She was raising children. She had a husband. She couldn't be absent, you know, just being involved with the ruin. But she was a wonderful partner to have, as was Opie. But after four years, they, they said, you know, this doesn't look like it's going to end. So I was completely in the reverse mood. I was, I was hoping it never ends because, you know, that was my passion and I wanted to do it. You know, people say, then, then when will this finish? I said, well, why must it finish? You know, so the, you, it depends how you people talk about, but it must be so difficult to do this or how challenging it would be to do this. I say how fascinating it is to do this, you know. So and you must have worked a lot with the government because it's a heritage structure. And did you face resistance from the government or did you kind of ever feel that I don't want to work with them or being like, I like this officer without him, this won't be possible. So you did you encounter both sets of people or was there more um, of a resistance that you saw? Okay, so when Nimrana started in 1986, there was no precedent, you know, of an outsider coming. The government had nothing to do with it, actually, because it belonged to a, a Rajas. So it was bought from a Raja. And when the restoration began, government people only came to trouble you. They said, but how have you got this? It was none of their business, you know, because it's like if you have your grandmother's house and you want to sell it, you've sold it. The government has nothing to do with it. I paid you and the deal's done. But because it was a historic building, but it wasn't listed. So it was not on the government list you know it was not an ASI building it was not a state archaeology building it was just one of those derelict ruins obviously there are hundreds of thousands in India so if you buy a field which has a ruin and you start to restore it why would government come and interfere you know it was there if they wanted to do something they could have woken up so the government was actually the greatest obstacle the greatest nuisance and the most ignorant of all about heritage but this bashing around with government for you know 20 years you know actually changed the mindset you know the, the you know they began to understand mm -hmm. the value of this because we did in, in 18 states we've done you know in tamil nadu in uttarakhand in up and so on so every time it was the same story the government rather than be a help was always butting in because the mindset of the government has even till today has not changed, you know, because the government was set up by the British. Mm -hmm. They left, but the officer's job was to hound you and, and trouble you because, you know, and they worked for the, the Gora Log. Mm -hmm. The Gora Log are gone or not gone, who knows, but they're still troubling you. They're not mm -hmm. part of the growth process. So when Rajiv Gandhi complains that, you know, out of 10 rupee, 1 rupee gets there, or when the current prime minister complains that uh, it's the bureaucrats are not letting his dream happen, mm. they're completely right. Because if you get, uh, you know, the, the government out of the way, everybody will progress much more. But this is more easily said than done. We need positive creative and less people in bureaucracy to see things happening well yeah well like, i won't sort of give up all of this I, this is not working out no no i'm not i'm not i'm not somebody who ever gives up i just wanted to bash their head every time you know i mean if somebody comes and asks you for a bribe you know why would i pay you you know excuse me i you know i have put a generator on, on the hill and i'm for 22 years nimrana ran on generators because they kept asking for bribes and they wouldn't uh, give us electricity. So to, in the 21st century, to give electricity to somebody is not a luxury. It's your birthright, you know. Right. So, like the property now has been running since 1991. You've created more than 30 properties, correct yes. me if I'm wrong. 
how do you manage to ensure that your guest also sort of kind of gets that luxury uh, in all your properties? W- what goes behind keeping the heritage experience intact? I'm glad you use the word luxury because it's it's very fashionable to use it these days. But it's a word that we never use in Nimrana hotels because uh, luxury, I find, is an offensive word for a country like India when 40% of the children in India suffer malnutrition. And if you're talking about the brand of your watch, I think that you are, you lack a conscience, you know. The idea of Nimrana hotels was never luxury. It was experiential. It was, you know, you you go to a place and you, you experience something which is very different from your house. Even this term, a home away from home, I've never understood this, you know. If you had to blow up some money or you had, to, you had a lover or if you had a family to, to get out with, why would you go to a place that would look like home, you know? I mean, you would go to a place that doesn't look like home, but... It would, it should be comfortable, experiential, extraordinary, completely different. So, so th- those are the criteria. So, I I enjoyed travel as a child because we would go to places and not know what we were going to get to eat because they were growing something strange and they would cook it for us and it turned out to be nice or we added lemon to it or whatever. So, my whole growth and my travels were, I suppose, an exposure in that direction. That um, you're driving out on a road. It's like a fairy story, actually. You know, you're a child. You're lost in a forest. You see a hill and you see a light in a fort. You go up and either a fairy or a witch opens the door and, you know, makes a soup for you. That we brought up on English stories like this. But for children, it's that, you know. So when you go to Nimrana today, of course, it's become a madness. You know, it's lit up with, you know, somebody said, looks like Rashtrapati Bhavan. I said, no, it wasn't because it's kind of large, you know, and there are a lot of bulbs. The idea was not that. The idea was just to create a dream place uh, which would be simple, clean, uh, functional, would serve wonderful food, fresh, not all kinds of, you know, not trying to make a croissant from France and a frankfurter from Germany in a tin. You know, we travel to see the place. So people there actually... um, when we started, which is true of India, actually, when you go to a village, you know, people think that you're not going to like their food because they're less than you. You're urban, so you arrive in a village. Once the Maharaja of Jodhpur sent us to see a place and uh, there was no phone there. And so when we arrived there, that man was, you know, very unhappy. And he said, Meri to double roti bhi nahi hai. So I said, but I'm not come here to eat double roti. You know, it was in a village. I said, what do you eat? So he said, uh, I'm having bajre ki roti and guar ki phali. So I said, sounds so wonderful. So he made, you know, bajre ki roti, guar ki phali and a chutney out of chilies and garlic. And it was, it would be on the list of the great meals I've had in my life. Simplicity is never, simplicity is never something that is looked down upon, you know. I, I can look down upon luxury because it's about excess, it's about showing off, it's about, you know, saying I've arrived. But simplicity is never that. And somewhere you feel you've kind of brought in that simplicity into your hotels as well? Yes, totally, totally. And you, you think replicating this model over 30 hotels has been easy for you? We're not replicating it, but um, the the philosophy is replicated. But, you know, when you do something in Tarangambadi, let's say in Tamil Nadu, 
where you have um, you know laterite and mortar buildings with wooden pillars and so on it doesn't look like rajasthan you know where you have stone blocks and so on so the idea is that every place should be different and if you eat uh, lobster and prawn there you don't have to eat lobster and prawn in nimrana because you know it comes refrigerated is it fresh what is the whole process so i think that uh, it should what should it do when you go to a place it should transform you it should make you want to return and people what is interesting is people i've met people who've done all our hotels and I, and i say why would they do that because and they tell me when i meet people at dinner parties they say you know i've been to the glass house on the ganges i've been to hill fort kesroli and i was wondering if the other hotel owners uh you know when they meet people do people tell them i have been to your hotel in um, bangalore i've been to your hotel in mumbai i've been to you and they never do because they're just hotel hotels mm-hmm. So, we've tried to stay away from a very chain model is what you're saying no we've not tried to stay away we've done our thing you know and that that became a different niche it became that's why right in the beginning i called them nimrana non hotel hotels so people a friend an important um, magnate i would say a media magnate said to me but you never say something negative in your name i said what's negative he said non hotel So I said, no, no, I'm not. Neg- I'm negating the hotel, not our property. I'm saying you don't want to be in room number three twenty-two, three twenty-three, three twenty-four. And then you, when you get your key, nowadays they don't put numbers on the card. Then you get diddled. You say, God, was it this room? Was it that room? You can, you know, try to get into somebody else's room. That's not. That's not what a holiday is about. I think a holiday is about, wow, you know, I'm in Badal Mahal. So I see, you know, frescoes of clouds painted in in my room. And when I go to Gajendra Mahal, then there are elephants and there is rain. So people can. We have seventy-seven rooms in Nimrana. You can actually go there seventy-seven times and have a completely different experience each time. And coming to the experience part, uh, a lot of it depends on the people that you have in your team. Absolutely. Uh, across Absolutely. the hotel. Absolutely. And also the communities around it. Yes. So how do you kind of? Uh, train these communities or these people into the philosophy that you have um do we train them or do they train us i mean it's a good question actually because simplicity comes more from the village than from the city so for me i'm i'm actually very fakir like by nature i'm not an epicurean who's talking about this caviar or that wine i i, I can enjoy all those things in short, small doses but i don't yearn for them um i've learned simplicity no i let me tell you the story when gandhi goes to england to meet george the 5th they say to him don't you think mr gandhi you're rather undressed underdressed to meet the king emperor so he answers something which is extraordinary he says i think he's dressed enough for the both of us okay it's it's a known story but it's that you know i mean let's say you're a very rich man or, or let's say you why why am i pinning you down let's let's think <laughs> of somebody else let's say somebody makes an excess of wealth mm-hmm. all right now he has many options in india suppose he says i'm going to buy the most expensive car available where the most expensive watch the most expensive underclothes and shoes and socks and all that all right fine that's his joy because he's got that kind of money and he 
obviously has some problem if he wants to spend it all on himself you know but it's a process it's a it's a process of growth you know so he he does all this and he arrives in your studio mm -hmm. okay here you know talking to you how would you rate him would you just look at his watch and say wow i think this looks like a two crore watch or look at his socks or he's wearing ferragamo shoes or whatever you know the thing is i don't think that the indian mind works like that mm -hmm. i think that it's exactly the contrary and I, I i don't do this for affectation or that for affectation you know but people say to me and they say it more and more because now you know i have a white beard and all this and people say oh this is the chairman of Nimrana hotel oh he's so humble i mean that's i think a huge compliment you know what would so i say to them how did you expect me to talk this you talk so nicely to us so that culture is the culture which is through all the Nimrana hotels, through all the staff. People in the village are very seldom arrogant. Unless you needle them, they are very, very nice. They're very warm. They, you know, they'll offer you their food. They'll offer you everything. They'll offer you nothing. They'll offer you a smile. They'll offer you water. I mean, we just so naturally, and they're so clever. I think you try and teach. I don't want to take the name of a country, and I could actually. Okay, let's take the Japanese, for example you know, mm -hmm. who went ahead of the world. Mm -hmm. They have exactly the opposite traits of Indians, you know. Mm -hmm. They're very disciplined, and you can get 20 Japanese to sit or stand in f four square meters of land and sit, just stand here, and you'll come back after one hour, and they might still be standing. They will be standing there, you know. But if you do that to the Indian, there's a 100% chance of them not doing what you tell them to do. Because everybody has a personality, everybody has an identity, everybody wants to say he owns the land he's, on which he stands. We've got too much personality. And that, if used to advantage, is a huge asset. But that, when it goes haywire, becomes a basket of crabs. You know, everybody's pulling down everybody and it doesn't work. So in a hotel, I mean, let's say I arrive in Nimrana, I arrived as a kid. I used to drive a gypsy, I used to drive myself, I drove in and one day, just I reached in the evening and the electricity came on and a few bulbs that we had connected, you know. So they folded their hands to the bulb because, you know, they Bijli, Mata or whatever they do and quickly ran to touch my feet. So I, was, I thought I was under attack, you know, because I'm not used to people touching my feet. So I ran back a bit and then they said, Aap the Maliko. So I said, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not the Malik, you know, there's only one Malik up in the sky. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just one more human being like you. We're all enacting different roles in life. So then they didn't understand. And a few more times they tried to touch my feet, and I, they, which I found terribly, not offensive. I found it demeaning for other people that they have to touch your feet because they're older than you and you're, you know, you're younger than them. If you touch your grandfather's feet, it's another matter, you know. So I said to them, Whoever will touch my feet, I'm going to touch their feet. Wow. And I did it five times, you know. Then they all ran away and realized that actually I meant it, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you if you mean to tell people that I'm not bothered if you're a Harijan or if you're a you know carpenter or whatever your your eternal things in the village are inside the fort, everybody's equal. I don't care, you know, if you're clean and can cook wonderful food. I'm not interested in knowing who you are. Does, does the roti made by somebody who's of another caste taste different from that? Is the color, the, you know, the skill comes from your aptitude. 
So if 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 you are a Brahmin and if you are seven feet tall and have a big mustache, you should be a guard. You know, it's not a Rajput's monopoly. Mm -hmm. So I think when you see a, a person, uh, how they speak, how they look, and so on, um, as as a leader, you should be able to tell where do I fit this man. There's place for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's place for people who are handicapped. There's place for people who are re really dumb mm -hmm. because there's really dumb jobs to do too, you know. Mm -hmm. If you put a very bright guy in a dumb job, he's going to create havoc for you because he's have extra time. He'll use his mm -hmm. brain to do something else. So I think the skill is to recognize the skills of other people mm -hmm. and never, never underestimate um, a rural Indian, I would say, because they're, they're ingenious and very skillful. Right. You know, you spoke about leadership at your uh, hotels. Uh, you yourself are leading a big uh, chain, if I can call it big. Uh, well, I know you are not yeah. very comfortable with terms <laughs> no, like yes. big. Uh, are there leaders that you've sort of interacted with or you kind of look up to? Uh, you spoke about your family as the role model. But yes. are, is there a leader or leaders who you look up to uh, often? I did a few jobs, you know, I, I worked in advertising agencies, I worked for McTeel and Megor. I met people, they, you know, people used to say, my boss is coming, my boss is coming. I used to wonder, what is this boss, you know, I mean, because the boss didn't have horns, He, you know, he, he. so what if he had a big car? I was never impressed by hierarchy. I've always felt humans are equal, mm -hmm. and if, you know, with the Queen of England, you know, you can have a normal conversation with her, you know, without having to bend and stretch, you know, because we, we know the English language, you know, we know our manners, and and I I think she'd even appreciate that, you know, I mean, people fawning at you and uh, which is a very feudal um, hangover is something that that irritates me from within because we weren't brought up like that, you know, so. I wrote uh, the corporate history of the Tatas, the centenary book of the Tatas, actually called Horizons. And I read uh, about the Tatas in great detail. And I said, I think that uh, Jamshedji Tata, who was the founder of, of the Tata empire in all the ways, was somebody who was admirable. I, li I like that spirit of enterprise. You know, he says, I'm going to give electricity to the city of Bombay. So he goes around and looks around. There were no helicopters. There were no drones, you know, to do all this. And car, horseback, I don't know where you reached all these hills. And then say, okay, I'll make a dam here. I'll make a lake here. I'll make all the water come down gushing, make, you know, electricity. And then I'll pump the, use that electricity to pump that water up back again to make it, you know. I mean, I was fascinated. I said, he had dreams, you know, that, you know, when we get people to come here, we don't, um, we must receive them. And they were only the Maharajas at that point. So in 1904, when the Taj Mahal Hotel opened, you know, the vision of a man to do that kind of hotel just I mean people make all these wonderful stories that he wasn't allowed into a, a British hotel so he said I'll teach you a lesson and G.D. Birla himself uh, told me because I, the first book that I wrote was on the Marwaris he, he said the two stories that he walked into a building and he got into a lift and a man said sorry this lift is for Englishmen so he got out he walked up the steps and he entered a reception and he sat on a sofa and they said excuse me this is for Englishmen so he just got up and it passed his mind, why have I come to this building to suffer this insult? Mm -hmm. So he just w ran down the steps, walked out and spoke to his community. There were many Marwaris by then in Calcutta because mm -hmm. they were the intermediaries between the British and uh, 
um, you know, the, the traders and they made a very small amount on huge things and they had become fairly rich and uh, they weren't yet independent. But that was the moment when he called the Marwari community and he said to them, you know, why are we taking this insult? Let's get together. And, do, you know, so they, they decided that they would buy a mill and make their own jute. So when they bought that, the British bought all the land around it and made sure that there was no access to that. So they went to the court and he said, at least I had to credit the British uh, legal system because we won the case in England. They had to give us a road. Then we made a huge, um, whatever produce we made, we got a Japanese ship to ship it. So we cut out the English. So when somebody insults you or challenges you or tells you you're less than them. And if you have a moment of reckoning to say, okay, is that, is that what you think of me? Then you then you go out to prove yourself. I didn't have those kind of moments, but I remember that, you know, going to um, fancy people's houses. I remember such people coming to, I remember the Maharaja of Bikaner coming to our house because my parents played golf. He was such a humble man. Mm-hmm. Maharaja Karni Singh of Bikaner, he was such a wonderful man. And, uh, my parents said, do you see how he talks to the staff? He would say, Caddy ji, um, you know, when he would, he was very stout and he would have a Coca-Cola and he would say, he would pour half in a glass and keep the bottle and he said, Caddy ji, burani mane to karle, because he, he was not supposed to have sugar. But the way of talking, you know, Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to learn from Rajasthan, from the, uh, from the villages. People mm-hmm. are polite in the cities. We are not. So mm-hmm. I think that if you take the best traits of your staff, which is hospitality, politeness, and overlook a little bit of they don't know good English and so on, they still, when they serve you, you don't feel they're less because they're, they're serving you from within with a warm smile you know they they touch their elbow with an arm when they give you a glass of water so respect is something you sense and i think in the nimrana hotels it's the emotions if if you if you touch the emotions a few times if you touch the 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 aesthetics a few times if you touch the palate a few times i think then your senses are positively invaded you know and, and that's that's a good yeah Coming to the next question, uh, Francis uh, passed away some years ago and, you know, there were doubts in the industry. How will the, you know, mm-hmm. momentum that both of you sort of created for Neemrana yeah. be? Uh, did it act as a sort of a introspection time? Did it act like a, a time where you thought that I don't want to be in this business anymore? I want to take a step back? Or did you kind of think I have to kind of make it grow even faster now? Francis was a fantastic partner to have. If you know, for a start, as I told you, Francis wasn't part of Nimrana for the first six years. So Nimrana was already a hotel when he joined, and when he joined, because we had very similar ideas, and we we were non-competitive. I mean, among ourselves, you know, we we trusted each other's decision. There was no need to discuss, argue, shoot down people. You know, so we went. I supported him. He supported me. He liked South India, so he, you know, he said I'll do something there. He liked Bombay, so we grew um, wonderfully, positively, and so on. But before I met Francis, you know, I was a complete human being. I was doing my own thing. I'd, um, I mean, I did everything all by myself. I had a twin brother, but we were completely dissimilar, you know. So um, after he went. Um, 
I didn't feel his loss in that sense because we were so close that I, you know, continued to believe that he was around. So when he was around, uh, we would run an idea by each other, and in the same sort of way. I mean, now it's been six years; he's gone. You know, I don't, I don't need to run ideas by anybody. I run them, you know, by myself. But we have a very, very good team. We have a, a wonderful CEO. Um, we have. Uh, people in every field you know whether it's hr whether it's uh, um, skilled people masons carpenters we have you know we've been at it for 35 years we've even got the children of people who joined us who've now joined us so there's positivism and there is an energy i think uh, that keeps the ball rolling so in the last 6 years we've uh, little more than doubled our turnover uh, which is good so we are not halved actually we're Although we've reduced our hotels, uh, the ones that didn't do well, or for whatever reasons, um, from um, 27, we're down to 20, I think now. You know, because we uh, there are some projects, restoration projects, we just did for Haryana government for uh, even that Haveli, uh, just for the sake of doing it. So I was counting the product uh, projects, not the hotels. So I think that uh, we're on a good wicket. And we're not greedy. We're not in a race that one has to do 100 hotels or so on. One has to do things with love. And now that we are the best-known hotel um, heritage hotel brand for a chain, um, people willingly offer their properties to us. You know, governments are now saying to us, you know, we have this ruin, we have this place. Can you do it for us? But they have their own problem because they have to go through a whole process. But I'm not insecure about that. Even if they put something to tender, a ruin, uh, there are not many takers. Tejara is a good example. You know, there were I think 14 people who collected papers, but there was about half a bidder because it was such a scary ruin. Hmm. And we're talking about you know since uh, he sort of passed away, uh, and now that you also have a very strong team, do you? believe in a succession plan do you believe in having a bent strength how do you plan to take forward the neem rana ideology the neem rana philosophy how do you yeah. envisage your legacy you know what one one never thinks in hindu in hinduism they say you should go to as many cremations as you can because that's the only time you remember that you also are not going to be there one day so, but the minute you come away from the cremation, you forget that you're going to die one day. So I, you know, enlightened or not enlightened, I like to believe that too. You know, I like to believe one can go on, but of course that's not the truth. So there's a very, uh, the average age once you remove me from the office is very low actually, and which is wonderful. So that makes us uh, very lean, young, agile, and uh, a, a, a team that can take a quick decision. Nobody has to ask anybody else to ask anybody else. To, there are no hierarchies and all that. You know, three people can just sit together or two people can sit together and say, you know, that's what we should do. They come and, and, and tell me or they tell the CEO. And um, it happens, you know. Uh, Sonvi Kekar is somebody who had worked in another hotel chain. And so she's, you know, quite clever. And she has great, uh, you know, the, the assets that she brings to the thing are different from the assets I bring to the thing. So the idea is rather than repeat each other's work, it's good to have a team where everybody has a different talent and you respect and trust that talent. 
Because if you question each other all the time, then you become like a government body, you know. Then you have meetings and meetings and, you know, say, well, should we do this? Should we really do this? And which is unfortunate, but the government has to work like that because they don't want to take the burden. If something goes wrong, you know, then becomes an individual person and he'll get sacked and all that. So I think on enterprise should be valued in government more than it is, which is the only way for people to come out. They should get the credit and, you know, possibly less blame because when you try to do something and if it fails, it shouldn't be your fault, you know. That's part of the enterprise. What about your succession plan? Have you worked on something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked on it. So, you know, there, so there, there are people, you know, the, one is about ownership, you know. Ownership is easy to work out. You give things to who you think will. But in, in my case, it's not complicated. You know, it's to the people who are running the thing. And um, when they'll be, uh, they'll only be more mature and more empowered. So um, whoever is good at whatever they're good at, we, we, we'll make it the top yeah before we close uh you know i had this question uh, which a lot of listeners uh, would also want to kind of know how do people uh, uh, who are interested in heritage in history uh, sort of uh, monetize heritage or is that a term you don't like uh, but people are looking to become entrepreneurs even from the arts no, and money, culture field. profit is not a bad word you know but nehru used to say profit is a bad word but that's very old and socially thinking. I think viability is perhaps a good word. I think uh, the word that is used by people in, in industry is nimranification. I think the nimranification of a ruin actually means that you invest your energy, your funds and expertise or whatever you have and human resources into something and you change the end use, you know. Suppose there's a cannon house or a, you know, farmhouse of the Maratha somewhere and you turn it into a hotel. The end use is changed. But the experience of sleeping with walls which are 300 years old or whatever is extraordinary. And then you make it viable because it starts to make money. It looks mm -hmm. after the people. And then once you create a positive cycle of viability, you can be gone because then, you know, if, if a property is making 20 crores, it's, it has to manage itself because it, it knows how to restore itself, paint itself, uh, you know, improve the facilities. So that is an ongoing and continuous race. So how I see not just the succession plan, but how the hotels will be, that the old will remain old. Let's say Kesroli Hill Fort is 700 years old. It's awesome to think that the thick walls are 700 years old. It's all, you know, much older. Even Nimrana is 30 some years older than America. But the insides of that, you know, because times change, the air conditioning changes, you know, the, the bathrooms change, that there's constant work to upgrade facilities, not to make them super chic and uh, look like, you know, an astronaut's bathroom, but to get the mix right, the balance right between today and yesterday, enough for people to sleep great nights, to carry, to have great dreams, to have celebrations, marriages, conferences, and come back saying, wow, this trip was like no other trip. We had that all the time, you know. Any advice for young entrepreneurs who are looking to create their own? Uh... Just do it. Just go ahead and do it. You know, don't. I think you should have full confidence in yourself and in whoever you choose to work with. If you begin with doubt, you will never succeed. You know, I mean, I'm not an architect. I'm not a hotelier. I'm. I was not an uh, entrepreneur before I was an entrepreneur. Maybe I could end on a story. Actually, it just just came to my mind after your question. Uh, 
I saw this movie which was made by a friend who's um, it was his first movie so in in this there is a a young boy who's done film institute and he's now looking to make some movies you know and it's not easy so somebody he tells him that there's a mr sabarwal who's makes tires and he's looking for an ad film so mr sabarwal is wonderful Sikh sitting behind a big table so this man young creative guy goes to meet him and says that i you know if you're looking for a film i can make it for you so mr sabarwal says uh, uh, tell me one thing but um, have you made a film on tires and the poor chap is stumped you know so he thinks for a second but really for half a second and he says mr sabarwal if you don't mind could i ask you a question he said nahi puche ji puche he said before making tires had you made tires the man is speechless you know <laughs> so so the question that you're asking me that before restoring a ruin had has anybody restored a ruin now there were so many examples now there's so many people who are learning this and training it but my advice is that you have to have a sense of your own if you get an architect sometimes they'll take you into a, a sea of madness and make <laughs> you do things which are not wanted you know and make it so expensive and unviable so you have to be clever Thank you for sharing your journey with us Aman really insightful guys if you want to know more about Nimrana hotels do log on to their website nimranahotels.com also don't forget to leave your comments and thoughts on this podcast on our insta page podsters india stay tuned for our next speaker and episode till then keep hustling towards your dream till you get there